The pattern of the unbeliever when approaching the moral law is to use it to prove their own moral abilities, abilities even to save themselves and gain heaven. But if they pay attention, they'll see that the law proves just the opposite. They can't save themselves. They need a savior. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. CPE is committed to making disciple, making disciples and planting church planting churches. If you wish to learn more about our missions fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 shows us an odd thing that happens to the Christian who has found Christ as savior. Once God brings his saving power to them, they in that power go back and try to prove themselves fit for God by the law. It's an understandable habit. It's the way we acted in the past, but it has no place in the life of the Christian. God will have to break us of this habit by showing us the weakness of our flesh. The newly saved person feels this power of salvation released upon them. They know the weight of guilt and sin rolling off from them, this moment of freedom from their sense of condemnation, this moment of release from trying to prove their own righteousness, their own saving righteousness. And in that moment of relief, they have stirring up within them a whole new field of interest. They want to live for God and they want to honor God and they have whole new desires pulsating through them because they've been born again. They want to love him and serve him and follow him and they want to go wherever he wants to take him. And they even have a fresh view of the law of God. That law of God that they may have tried to fulfill in order to prove themselves righteous that eventually began to resent because they couldn't fulfill righteousness in it. Now they see it as a law that expresses and was framed around and expressive of the beauty of their Lord, the lawgiver. And they have a relationship with that lawgiver. And so in the law, they want to live for him and glorify him and please him. So they set out through their own strength and by their own effort, by the marshalling of their physical energies, in essence, to prove that now they can do it. And they could live for him and honor him and in essence, what they're doing is through the law over again because of the pattern they had before. They're just trying to prove themselves in the law and they're going to fail. We fail when we do that. We'll not fail just once. We'll fail over and over and over again when we approach our pursuit of holiness by just trying harder and trying harder and trying harder. Well, you'll just fail harder and you'll fail harder, and you'll fail harder in your own physical efforts. This is the reality that Paul is referring to. That's the point of confusion that's being corrected initially. We're wrong to think that once saved in Jesus Christ, that we're able to go forward in a strategy of self-effort to live out that salvation successfully. And that's what Paul is trying to teach here. Here's a second point of confusion I believe that Paul is trying to correct here that we see in this passage as well, in this segment that we're reading. It's the idea that as we face this challenge and as we find that we're not succeeded, another idea begins to formulate in our minds, which is, well, then I just have two natures that are fighting within me. I have two natures, two kind of equal natures and two parts of me that are just fighting. And Paul is going to say things to us that help us recognize that this is not the battle of two equal natures at war within yourselves. It's not that you're made of one part good and one part bad. It's not that you're one part sinner and one part saint. You see, that's what's going on. It's not the old man is having a battle with the new man. And 
Paul's going to correct this. Now, actually, this is a popular idea when approaching this text, and it's a wrong idea, I think. It's a mistaken idea. In order to understand and explain why it is that the believer goes on in ongoing weakness and an ongoing tendency to follow into their sins and follow in the ways of death, an idea has been perpetuated that the Christian now, after he comes to Jesus Christ, has two natures. And there's this inward conflict. He's this dual thing where there's this good part of him and this bad part of him and there's the old nature and the new nature and that they're war with one another and our bodies are just kind of like this receptacle of this battle that's going on between these two squaring off with one another. And I think that's a mistaken notion. But it is actually one of the more popular notions out there. And actually, in a sense, makes us not unlike our idea of the unbeliever. You know, we have the idea of the unbeliever, and he's just got a devil on one shoulder, and he's got an angel on the other shoulder, and he just, his little conscience is telling him what he should be, but the little devil is making better arguments, and he just oftentimes doesn't win because he's just not as powerful, and that little devil takes over, and the little angel on this side loses, and the little devil on this side gets a little bigger. And, but in this case, it's more involved than that. The Christian, according to this view, has a divided nature, and the old sin nature is just ghosting him and controlling him and is... New nature is being overcome by that old sinful man that is in him. We have to say, why is that a wrong view? Well, we have to go back to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. We talked about this. And Paul emphatically says that the old man, for us, is dead. That's the old spirit. The person we were before coming to Jesus Christ dies when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've said it this way. When you give your life to Jesus Christ... You're born again. You're given a birth certificate. It's pronounced that now there's a new life. You're a new creature. Anyone is in crisis, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. And, and not only that we get this birth certificate, what we said was also you get a death certificate at that time. That old man, that old person you were, died in Christ and is counted as dead. And it's an actual thing. Take our Bibles and let's just read verses 1 through 10 of Romans 6. We won't give commentary. We've given a lot of commentary. We hung in Romans chapter 6 for some time. But let's just read it as we keep in mind this argument that we're making here, that Paul is making. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized, immersed into Christ Jesus, were immersed into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. You see, those are all past tense. These have all happened. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, which is true, we have been, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also reckon, it says do the math, add it up. You yourselves to be dead. You can't reckon what isn't true. What isn't the absolute declaration over your life. Reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. 
The Christian is a new spiritual creation completely down to the core of his or her being. The sinful impulses that they feel are not emanating from some dark, divided personality within themselves. We are not Dr. Jekyll's and Mr. Hyde's. No. The sinful impulses and temptations that are setting off within us are the work of something within our material substance, in our flesh, in our bodies, in our physical members. It isn't that our bodies are entirely evil. Actually, God has a design and a plan to redeem our bodies one day into glorified bodies. And God gave us these bodies, and it was a part of what God did when he made us in his image. But they are fallen and corrupted bodies. They remain the receptacles of the ongoing contagion of sin that's in the world. It rests and it resides and it settles in our flesh, in our bodies. As such, we can see that sin still has an entry point into our lives and a point of expression from us, but it all happens on this physical and we might say psychological level, this part of how we're made up genetically. And Therefore, when Paul speaks about the tendency to sin, he's very careful, and you'll see that in this passage, to identify that part of himself in a limited way. When he is falling into this temptation of sin, he makes sure to locate that it's all happening within his body, within his flesh, within his members. This is the point where I think a lot of Christian thinkers get confused. They take those terms flesh and body and members and they see that it says flesh, body and members and then they say this is speaking of our sinful nature. And then when they come to that passage they just put aside the terminology flesh, body and members and particularly flesh and they just interpret to mean sinful nature. And now all of a sudden we're back to these two natures within us that are squaring off with one another and it isn't. Paul even when he speaks of the flesh, then he backs up what he means by speaking of the flesh by speaking of the body and by speaking of the members and saying this is where sin is expressing itself. They confuse the language that Paul uses to describe his own struggle that aligns with their own struggles in their flesh and their bodies and their members and they interpret to be a struggle between two natures, two parts of us that are on equal footing. That's not the case. This is a struggle of the new people we are in Jesus Christ the new man that a born-again person is, created in Christ Jesus, infused with the life and presence of the Holy Spirit, addressing the ongoing appetites and activities of sin that reside in our flesh. So don't get confused when you read all these eyes that Paul is throwing around here. When he speaks of the eye who is prone to sin or falling in sin and falling into compromise, he's speaking of that physical part of himself. And when he speaks of the eye who hates sin and who delights in the law of God and wishes with his mind to serve the law of God, he's referencing that true self. He's referencing that central self that is his new spiritual being. One of the reasons we get confused on this is because of the very way in which we approach our own bodies and we speak of things. Let's say an individual gets shot. He usually says if he's been shot, someone shoots him accidentally or purposely. He says, I've been shot. He doesn't say, I have been struck by a bullet in the upper right quadrant of my thigh, of my body's thigh. He describes it as happening to himself. Many of you have, over this last winter, had different miseries of sickness that have come upon you. And you don't just simply identify the miseries in the locality as at that point in time expressing itself. It's happening to you. It's happening to you. You blend these two together and you blend what's happening with your body 
with yourself. And Paul is doing the same thing. That's all. Let's follow this in the text here. Let's go to verse 14. Let's just walk our way through this. Paul says here in verse 14, I am of the flesh. That's the word carnal there. I am of the flesh sold under sin. And then there's a note that even in saying that, that he's differentiating all that he is as apart from the flesh. I am of the flesh sold under sin. That's the idea. That's the context here. And then in verse 17, he clarifies that. Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And we can ask the question, well, where does that sin dwell in him? What part of Paul is hosting that sin? In verse 18, he clarifies, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So there in verse 20, he makes this statement in which he separates himself from his flesh. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, that sin that dwells in his flesh. So you can see here that Paul is setting himself apart from the activity that's taking place in his body and that leads him into failure and sin. And he's able to say that that's really not me. That's my sin-sick body. Well, who is Paul then? Paul describes who he is in verses 21 and 22. Look at the last half of verse 21. He is the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's me. That's the core of who I am. Well, well then Paul, where is sin expressing itself in your life? Where is it rising up for yourself? In verse 23, he explains again. This is one of the important steps in moving into sanctification in your Christian life. It's to recognize that sin rises from your flesh, but it doesn't rise from the new man that you are in Christ. And that new man holds the power to overcome the flesh. We'll talk about this some more in our next broadcast. If you want to learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And until then, may God bless you.